please find a posture that is comfortable, relatively upright and relaxed. Hopefully the posture helps support the first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body, so that we can establish an embodied awareness. Letting your awareness begin to saturate the somatic kinesthetic experience of being alive that is sitting here in your seat. In addition to being aware of the posture of the body, maybe the weight or temperature that's here, perhaps being aware of the places of contact where the body is contacting the ground or the chair or the cushion or your clothes are making contact with your body. In addition, please be aware of the fact that the body is breathing naturally without exaggerating the breath or having to do anything to it. We simply want to be aware of the body breathing.
as you find some stability in this embodied awareness, you can, of course, continue to stay with the body, the breath, or you can also open the field or space of awareness and be aware of whatever's in the foreground of this spaciousness of being. Whatever's in the foreground of awareness itself, whether it be thoughts or feelings or emotions or sounds or smells or any sights that may arise, inner or outer. Establishing a very relaxed, embodied awareness that is here. Alive in the present moment. beginning to abide in the one who knows or that which knows. Being aware of whatever's predominant. And the effort that we make as we practice is very simple. We just want to be here, aware, now.
If at any time you feel confused or unclear or find yourself lost in some memory or thought or plan or wish, please remember to relax and reestablish your embodiment, your presence. And then stay very present moment by moment by moment with your direct experience with the body and the breathing, if you're staying with the body and the breath, or simply staying very immediate with whatever arises, whether it's thought or feeling or sound or smell or taste or touch, sensation, whatever it is. Abiding in awareness, moment by moment by moment.
So I want to ask something of all of you, which is, um, and please, if you don't have your video on, turn it on for just a minute or two. Um, how many people um, knew that we would be talking about the movie 13th today? If you knew, please raise your hand so I can see. Okay, keep your hands up because I'm going to go through the screens. I just want to see how many people are aware of that. 13th, keep raising your hand if you knew that. If you don't, don't raise your hand. Let me just see if it is okay. Most people did. Some people are still not videoed, so don't know about them, but okay, thank you. Um, so we're going to talk about the movie. Oh, I guess I should ask one more question. How many people watched the movie either last night or have watched the movie 13th? Raise your hand again and keep your hand up a second. Okay, great. Good, good, good. Uh, so I'm going to just say a few words about the movie and then we'll have a bigger discussion about it. Um, and I just wanted to mention the, the name of the movie for those who didn't see it is called 13th and it's about the 13th amendment to the constitution. And it was made by a woman named, uh, Ava DuVernay. And, uh, I also, I saw the movie again last night. I've seen it before, but I saw it again last night. And then I also saw something I hadn't seen, which is an interview between her and Oprah. And that was also very interesting to hear her talk about what it was like to make that movie for herself and how it was to interview different people, including people like Newt Gingrich. I don't know if I have his last name right, but he was Republican and part of the um, Reagan administration, Nixon administration, but very interesting to hear his understanding of um, racism in America and how it's been used politically and which is talked about in the movie. And I thought, I don't know if they said this, uh, I can't remember, but I wrote it down today that um, the 13th Amendment says, sends this, says this, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Okay, so that's the basis of it. So neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime. And so, and this is, this is the uh, amendment to the constitution that I believe was enacted 1865, part of the whole um, civil war movement and what clarified what was who we were as a nation in terms of slavery and as it said here, involuntary servitude, right? And so after the civil war, everybody was free. Everybody was free except criminals. And so it's an interesting component uh, 
and considered one of the interesting loopholes in the 13th Amendment, because if you've been convicted of a crime, you can be enslaved or involuntary servitude, or, and of course, imprisoned, right? And so the movie shows, points to many, many different things. And there's a few that I picked out that I thought were really important. One is that slavery was an economic system and has continued to be an economic system in all its various forms since the slavery that started in 1619 and has continued ever since in some form or another. And so the, because slaves at that time, especially in the South, but also there were slaves in the North, um, uh, the, after the war and after um, the South lost the war, then what do you do with those people who have been an integral part of your economic system, right, to survive? And so what, what is shown and what you see happen and what is even named there is that's when the first mass prisons are built and it's really the first mass incarceration that happens and a whole mythology of black criminality starts to be um, uh, foistered uh, on the public, right? That black people are criminals, black people are like animals and et cetera, et cetera, and are, are bad, are gonna do bad things. And so it's really the beginning, it's the end of formal slavery, but it's the beginning of a much more legalistic second-class citizenship for African-American people in this country. And it, you know, we could say it continues to this day. Uh, and the prison system that began after slavery has just grown and grown and grown, especially in the, in the last century, in the second half of the last century, grew incredibly. Um, you know, there's some, I think the movie starts with, uh, a, might be Obama saying that we, we have 5% of the world's population in the United States of America and 25% of the world's prisoners. Like for me, that's just a shocking statement. 5% of the world's population, 25% of the prisoners of the world are here in the United States. And the movement expanded, especially during beginning in the late 50s and then the 60s and the 70s and the 60s, especially because it was really the real beginning, the late 50s and 60s, the heart of the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement where people were not just agreeing with the government. And so the the, in, in 1972, one figure I saw that there were 300,000 people in prison in the United States of America. And currently there's something like 2.3 million who are imprisoned in, in this country. And then they, the movie goes through a lot of different facts and interesting things like 95% of the prosecutors in this country are white. 
and they talk about the militarization of the police and you see it in the equipment and you even see it now in all the demonstrations when the police want to get serious. I mean, they have all kinds of equipment, you know, to deal with peaceful protesters. And a few other facts that I just want to put in the conversation. Um, there was one question that came out, which is how many martyrs do we put into the ground? And they were talking about Martin Luther King getting killed and Malcolm X getting killed and Fred Hampton, different black leaders getting killed and how so many black leaders were murdered or imprisoned. And I'm old enough to remember this. I remember this happening and remember this, you know, the, especially the Black Panthers who were, you know, they were not, um, they were not pro-government, but they were not gonna take down the United States of America, right? I mean, that's not, the, that wasn't what was happening, but they were gonna defend themselves and that was threatening to the government. And uh, there was a beautiful part about Angela Davis, who is still alive and here today, who was one of the Panthers, who was uh, brought to on trial to get to become imprisoned. Who, you know, who J. Edgar Hoover said was one of the ten most wanted people in America, and she uh, she defended her own case and she won, and she just nailed the guy because it was all bullshit. And she was a very, very bright woman, intelligent woman, and a, and a wonderful leader. A um, couple of the other things that I'll mention. ALEC, A-L-E-C, American Legislative Exchange Council. And it's a corporate a body that it creates laws in the, in the country that uh, make money for corporations and work against people of color. Um, and they, they create laws that defend white supremacy. And it's something I didn't even know about until I saw this movie, until I saw 13th. And my wife and I watched it. And when we watched it, and we saw all the companies that supported ALEC you know, the American Legislative Exchange Council. And they were, they were all these people who like, um, or companies like Exxon, Time Warner, State Farm, DuPont, FedEx, uh, the, uh, I don't know how to say it, Coach Brothers, Koch Brothers, I can't remember how to say it. Very wealthy family, Camco Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, I mean, lots of companies have supported this because they create laws that support dominance and, and uh, support some people be, uh, being um, uh, dominated and, uh, um, and they make money for companies, which is really, in my opinion, this is just Eugene, this wasn't said in the movie, I don't think, but this is my, it's all about money. It's all about money. Slavery was about money, totally. And it's continued to be about money for 400 years. And that's something I learned when I was a young man. It's always been true. It's like, oh, you want to know what's going on? Follow the money. 
because that's what this, as some American once said, the business of America is business. And that's what's important. And so in terms of prisons becoming a growth industry, now there's the CCA Prison Corporation, well invested in ALEC, right? And they lock up immigrants in uh, their prisons now. That's the primary people who are holding uh, immigrants, right? And they're making something like $11 million a month on their prisons, right? And it's part of what's called the prison industrial complex. And a lot of corporations make money creating the equipment for those prisons and the means and the food and the whatever it takes, right? And so, and then they're using the prisoners in involuntary servitude because you can do that as is allowed in the 13th Amendment to do the work. So they showed a whole thing in the movie about Idaho potatoes, right? Everybody's heard about Idaho potatoes. All these prisoners doing the planting, the cultivating, and the, the taking, you know, and the boxing, and then the sending of the potatoes, you know, that our potatoes are being made by prisoners who are now in involuntary servitude. And then there are a lot more facts, a lot more things I could say. Here, a couple more just statistics that stepped out, stood out for me. That one in 17 people in this country is black. One in three blacks expect to go to jail. And it's not they expect, they're expected to go to jail given the setup here, right? And there are 6.5% of the population and 40.2% of the prison population. We have more African-Americans in prison in the prison system than we had as slaves when the Civil War happened. And that just points you to the, the fluidness of economics keeping servants happening keeping slavery happening in some way, shape, or form. And as Brian Stevenson, who's quite a brilliant man who was interviewed there, he said, people always say, how did we, how did people tolerate slavery, lynching, segregation, you know, which happened all for many years. And he said, we're tolerating it now. And that's what we don't know. And that's what I think is important to wake up to. And then the last fact that I'll add into the conversation, this was in the New York Times today. And, it, and they said at least 6,500 people, 6,500 black people were lynched from the end of the Civil War until 1950. Okay, well, I'm gonna say that number again. 6,500 black people were lynched, right? Grabbed and hung from trees or somewhere killed, right? From the end of the Civil War until 1950, an average of nearly two a week for nine decades, right? And then it said, 
nearly five black people on average have been killed during a week, in a week, nearly five black people have been killed on average during a week by law enforcement since 2015, right? And so just to bring it into the room as like, here's what the movie talked about, here's what I heard, and I wanna hear what you heard, saw, think, feel, agree, disagree, whatever it might be. Let's talk about this movie. And, and also, you know, somewhere in the conversation, there's always the question of, you know, what does one do? And we can discuss that. And the way to do this is please go to the participants button at the bottom of your screen. If you go there, you can raise your hand. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's at the participants button. And I'll answer questions of people as they come up. This is Sally. Uh, please unmute yourself. Great. Well, as painful and difficult as it was to watch the film, I actually felt grateful because I have an understanding of our history that I've never grokked before. It was a great gift in the sense of just knowing this horrible story that you've just described. It's actually just like practice. Suffering and being aware of suffering and the causes of suffering can lead to the end of suffering but it doesn't mean we like suffering or we like the causes, right? It's heartbreaking. But as I've said many times, the possibility in Dharma is for the heart to break open. Anything else? Well, that is, the question is, what is my personal response going to be? Yeah, great, great question. And it's a great, great question to live with and to see what do you want to do? What can you do? What needs to be done? It's an ongoing practice and investigation and, and the living of it. It's not a coming to a final answer, in my opinion. But, it, but it's also acting. It's not, just, it's not just being aware of, it's being aware of and then what is right action. And it's one of the things I like so much about Saida Uteshaniya. He always talks about right action. Okay. Okay, Kitty, please unmute. And I'm just gonna undo one of my curtains so I have a little more light here. Kitty. Hi, Eugene. 
Hi, everybody. So nice to see a lot of people I haven't laid eyes on in a long time. <laughs> Feels like a lot of friends here. Um, there's many things, reactions I had to the movie, um, but I mostly wanted to say I spent yesterday and a day long with uh, J.D. Doyle and Crystal Johnson for um, white people. Um, and a lot of what we did was to really slow down watching uh, some violent things that are, uh, you know, specifically about the lynching museum and the mm -hmm. images that went with that, it wasn't long. And then uh, uh, later on in the day, like a, a list of possible things that you could be involved in uh, to be of help. And each time we had a breakout group and you know, we were watching these things, taking these things in with a lot of instruction for mindfulness. And then we had a breakout group to uh, talk to other people about what was coming up for us, what actually happens for us when we see this kind of imagery and what actually happens for us when we see all the possibilities of what we might do. Um, so I just wanted to bring that into the conversation for everybody about, uh, you know, I was really, I've never done that. <laughs> um, and I, I was, I, I mean, I'm not that shocked by what I'm seeing and what's going on because I, it's not, most of this isn't new to me. I was more shocked by how near like a panic sensation I had when I looked at the list of possible things that you could do uh, partly because I'm already trying to figure out how to do stuff that I don't know how to do <laughs> about this. You know, I'm already engaging in these ways, but then I see all these other things and feel like, oh, you know, um, so I just, as we're talking about this and that question of what to do, I just really wanted to encourage all of us. It just was such a powerful awareness of like what I'm doing inside of myself, like to really pay attention to that as I look at my, potential responsibility um, or, or actions I can take. A lot of what the, the, the um, focus was yesterday was on resilience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just the notion that like, you know, we are limited beings and I, it, I don't, it sunk in in a different way yesterday that slavery went on for, for 400 years formally. And it's only been like, not 150 years, or is it 150 years no, since? It didn't go 400 years. Wait, or wait, it went, how a many few, years? A few hundred years, something, 100, you know, 1619 to 1865. Okay. Whatever that is. That's formally, right? And then informally, it's gone on ever since. Right, okay, that's right. It's like 400 years since Right. That people were enslaved, let's say that. Yes. Just that the time period that people were enslaved is still like much longer than the time period people haven't been enslaved. So we are, you know, just where we are in this process hit mm -hmm. me really differently about, you know, untangling this thing that lasted a really long time. I, I, I mean, and I, I knew that, but it just hit me differently. So anyway, just I just wanted to bring that realistic, um, mindful sense for all of us that I, I just felt was so helpful yesterday for... Um, not what I'm hearing that I think is so important is to really pay attention 
to how it impacts one and then how one is relating to how one is impacted because it can be, uh, you know, it was, um, as I said, it was heart, it's heartbreaking to watch the movie and to, and to see the videos and to see these white people stringing up black people, you know, as if it's a good thing. And then to, um, and to be bereft and, and feel horrible about it and to not know what to do, but don't lose one's mindfulness in the process because that's the way we can still find our feet or stay balanced to start to see, oh, what is it that we can do? And there may be a hundred different things we can do, but even that, it's not helpful to think, oh, I have to do a hundred different things. It's what's helpful is to begin to discern and see, oh, is what can I do? What do I want to do? How do I do it? And how can I stay as balanced as possible when I do it? And even, I mean, just, and really we're using people like Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela as, as uh, examples of people who did that. Martin Luther King, he faced death for so long and he just kept walk, staying in his shoes and being clear and being kind actually. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and same Nelson Mandela, you know, spent so many years in prison and came out like a totally bodhisattva and willing to lead a country that was a mess, but he didn't lose himself in the process. And when I say himself, I don't mean just small sense of self. I mean, really who and what we are, our hearts, our wisdom, our intelligence, our fierceness and our love. And then let that function. Okay. Pause a lot while we're doing it. <laughs> As a lot needed. of pauses when we can. It's a privilege to have them, but <laughs> take them when we can. It is, and you know, and sometimes we gotta, it's gotta be fierce too. And there's no pause, just vroom, and that's what's needed. Yep. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much for doing this. Sure. Okay. Miru. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for the opportunity to talk about, uh, for us to talk about this movie. Um, this uh, question came up actually in my work sangha. <laughs> that um so we had a june we observed the juneteenth at work and we um got to listen to many great speakers and actually we invited the mother of the favorite um martin and other mm -hmm. um other people who have lost their family members actually among the employees because of the police brutality and that was a big shock to many employees too because you wouldn't think that that actually happens to one of your coworkers that they might lose their families or brothers sisters to to, to that um, and the question, and in that week, when we led the meditation, we talk about the suffering and the question was basically, um, the cause of suffering, the cause of the, what causes suffering. And, um, can you just say that it's okay? It's not okay, but, you know, we always say that suffering, life is suffering. And whoa, 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 whoa. be very careful about saying that that's not what the Buddha said. He didn't yeah. say life is suffering. He said there is suffering. There is suffering, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, very suffering. And um, when we started ta- when we started talking about cause of suffering, it got really complicated because it's really hard to you know, as we saw in the movie, it was really hard to pinpoint to one reason, and it just happened over so long time. Um, so one, this this came from one person that uh, he had a hard time um, meditating these days because he he feels like he is just sitting and um, he, that sitting is not enough. And he's really actually thinking about the action and I, I think all of us are doing too, but he kind of had the notion that in the meditation tradition or whatever tradition you look, you, you look into, it feels like you're, um, you're acknowledging that there's suffering and then that's it. And that, w- that was why he was having kind of hard time with the meditation. And I fully understood what where it was coming from. Um, yeah, he was very frustrated, obviously. So I wanted to hear your response to that. How would you respond to it? Um, sure, it's not, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and let me, I'll give you a better answer. It is enough for some people. It's not enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and then again, depending what one's orientation is, if one is um, you know, there's different streams of orientation in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. If one is in the Arhat tradition, then sitting is the most important thing. If you're in the Bodhisattva tradition, sitting's not the most important thing. It's it's important, but what's important is how you respond to suffering. Mm-hmm. And so you one has there's diversity in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're all good. And it's not that everybody has to go out and um and um protest because of what's happening. But it is important that those of us who feel it, it, it matters to us, we should protest. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not one is right and the other is wrong. And one can often hide behind the meditative stance and not act. And that's not, uh, that's not skillful. Mm-hmm right? Because it, it's safe. Oh, well, I'm sitting and, you know, and I wish everybody be well. And that's a really good thing to wish everybody to be well. But also, what about what, what are you doing in the rest of your life to make everybody be well, becomes a very important question. And especially if we're working, I mean, it's one thing if you're monastic, and you're living in the monastery and somewhere, whether it's in the United States or, or Europe or Asia, that's one. What that's a lifestyle that's different than us. We're everybody here is householders. Everybody's engaged in the world. Everybody is working in the world. And as was said, like about um, was about um, you know Alec man. I mean all these companies that we're buying stuff from are investing in the prison industrial complex. And so we're investing in the prison industrial complex. And when we found out about it, we pulled out of so many companies, we didn't know we were doing that with. And even um, just yesterday, I've, or two, this week, I found out about Vanguard, which is a way Spirit Rock has helped us get a little bit of retirement fund. And retire and Vanguard supports the prison industrial complex. I just found out about it. So the first thing is like, okay, how do I get out of this? 
That's, and I've already called and I'm putting it in motion. I'm not just sitting there knowing, oh, they're, you know, they're doing this thing and I'm meditating on it. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I understand it. Thank you. Okay. Heather, please unmute. Yeah. Hi, Eugene. Hi, everybody. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for um, this topic and for so many people who are joining. It's really heartening. Um, for me, I think that the, um, the thing about Alec, that was new, right? And it was so upsetting. And I've known, like, I've known about the Koch brothers and I've read a lot about what's called dark money and just this whole movement around getting rid of government and, um, and, and really fighting against all that's good for people, a few people who have a lot of money, right? And it's, it's so mind blowing to me. Um, and I feel like, like I know for me, what's important is political action. You know, whatever I can do to change it politically, that's for me. Um, and like doing efforts around getting out the vote, you know, all of that, we have an election coming up, but this money thing feels so, um, so much bigger than, than, you know, like the people that want to do good in the world don't have that kind of money as far as I know, you know? And so it's like, and there are all these, like, I've, not that we have a lot of money, but I've donated here and there to what feel like good causes. And that's, that feels good. Like that's the right thing to do, but doesn't feel like enough. And it's like, if there's a, what I want to know, and I'm sure you don't know this or could endorse it, but if anyone out there knows if there's like a, a, a movement that is an equivalent to what th things like Alec are doing or the Koch brothers are doing, like, I feel like that is so important if there's like a counter movement to that. Um, well, anyway, I, I would say there is a counter movement. I don't know that there's an organized counter movement, but I think there's a counter movement similar to Black Lives Matter, right? One of the key things about Black Lives Matter is there's no one leader, right? right. It's, not a lead, it's not a movement where you can shoot the leader and then, you know, everything uh, goes, right? right? which right. happened with Martin Luther right. King or, or Malcolm X or so many different people. And, and so that's, and, and what I would suggest to you is look for what you're looking for, like really investigate. Where's the, where's the, uh, I'm looking for the right word, sane money. Where's the, where's the money that's looking for real true freedom here for everyone together? and then start to see where it's happening because there are some very rich people who are supporting this, right. what, what, you, what you care about. But they're, they're not as, um, may not be organized like Alex is, but they're there or the Koch brothers who, you know, they're, you know, they're just doing their thing, right? And, but there are also other billionaires doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And so, investigate it and because watch out about getting overwhelmed about what we don't know say well, more about that well it's easy to think oh shit the coke brothers because they're they get a lot of publicity and we know they 
they're, you know, super rich and they're total right wing and they're trying to control the government. But, but what we don't know is who on the, uh, who, who isn't on the right wing, who has money, is also working very hard and has money. And so don't, don't project that there are people out there doing exactly what you would like. See for yourself. And then if it's true, then get overwhelmed. But don't get overwhelmed <laughs> beforehand. Okay. Okay? Yeah. yeah, thank you. Good. Okay, Maggie. Please unmute, Maggie. Hi there, Eugene. Um, and Hi. Hello, everybody. It's really nice to share this time with you all and reflect um, on this very important topic. Um, so where I am right now, um, I feel overwhelmed at the at holding the structures. And when I say structures of these systems that we have, um, I think about the political structures. I think about the, um, I think about the prison industrial complex, um, its industry, our economic systems mm -hmm. and how they're all, uh, how they all interplay with each other mm -hmm. um, and benefit off each other um, and how racism has been filtered in to these systems. Mm -hmm. um, and my biggest takeaway for me yesterday um, in the movie was how racism continues to reinvent itself. Yeah, really good point. Really it, fascinating, huh? Yes, and the way, and it's just looking at these systems um, and looking at them, but there's this historical concept also where all so many people are involved in, in this whole like, uh, into this whole system of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm holding all of this above me right now and like just trying to understand how all the puzzles are, are fitting and how it's fluid. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, what is my role individually and how I am complicit in the system, contributing to the system of white supremacy, and how can I continue to reinvent myself? Great questions, all of them. But but be careful. What, what the only carefulness I mean is somebody, maybe Kitty said it about keep pausing in there too, and keep finding your center. Keep finding who and what you are. Even the heart that wants to change it all, don't lose touch with the heart. Don't lose touch with your love or your care or your, or your, you know, or your passion for justice. Whatever the, uh, whatever the words might be that are correct for you, don't lose touch with that because that's good and that's right here. And that's the basis you want to function from. And and because and also and this is just the Eugene way to say it. Don't hold it all over you. 
Don't hold it all. Don't hold anything. See it and then see where can you find yourself and what can you do from right where you're at and then how can that expand? But, but it's, you know, it's definitely, well, I don't want, I'm going to say it two ways. Maybe you can cut through all the shit. That would be great. But if not, do it step by step. And they're both good, really, because I've seen some people cut through like that, and it's like, great. And they change the world. And, you know, not all of us can do that. But, uh, but all of us can go step by step and keep changing the world. And they both change the world. That's not one or the other. Does that make sense what I'm pointing at? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate your passion about it because the passion is good and important. Thank Great. You. Thank you. Okay. Susan and Joel, please unmute. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Um, what, what, one of the things that struck me about that movie was that it was made in 2016. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm having all these Homer Simpson moments these days, but can you talk a little about... Wait, you're having all these what? Homer Simpson moments. I'm not a big Homer Simpson guy. Who's he? Oh, it's the no-duh. Sorry. It's the, the kind of quick, no, quick operator, what's the number for 911? Uh-huh. Um, I think you've got the 911 number already. Come on. <laughs> what else can you do? Um, but can you talk a little bit about why, why it's now? I mean, we didn't watch this in 2016. It was made in 2015, 2016. They were talking about um, using cell phones to uh, right. weaponizing tele cell phones. It's all happening now, not four right. years ago. That's so, partly COVID. That's partly the... Yeah. Technology. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying to think when I first saw 13th, maybe two years ago, not, not four years ago for sure, but I would say two years ago I first saw it. And, you know, somebody said, see this movie, right? And it's, a, you know, and so I'd watch, and it was like, you know, really my response is, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and, and, but, um, You know, I don't have an answer about why we're watching it now, but thank goodness we're watching it now. That's my response. It's like, good, whatever. You know, she did something. She's changed the world with that movie, and it's still changing. It's not just, oh, you had to watch it in 2016. Otherwise, you're, you can't watch it. It's here. And, and, and we're seeing what she said about the, the video and the change in technology right, has now changed the world, where we all watch George Floyd get murdered, get lynched. Somebody said that. I don't, it wasn't in the movie. It was somewhere else. They said, oh, yeah, they lynched my brother. And it's like, yeah, that's what happened. And now we're seeing it. And so it's had a huge impact, not just in America, but worldwide. And that's, and it's good. It, it you know, even I was, I was doing some practice with a friend of mine who teaches in Italy. He's an American who teaches. And he said, 
And he said uh, he had just taught his group in Italy and it was all about Black Lives Matter. And I mean, and, and the way racism and prejudice and bigotry plays out in Italy, right? It's not just about African-American people, but they have their own uh, bias, right? Like every country does or different races do, different peoples do. And it's a human failing, right? It's human ignorance as far as I'm concerned. And something's happening right now worldwide. And that's, I think it's good. And I hope it's good. Really. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? We have time for more comments, questions. Karen, please unmute. Hi, Thank, thanks everybody for this conversation. Um, one of the things that really struck me last night and, and as we're talking is, is sinking in more that I, uh, well, I've always thought of racism as something that comes out of fear and ignorance more than anything else. Mm -hmm. But what really struck me from watching 13th last night was that it's not just that, that it's actually a continued, continuing, concerted effort to control and exploit a group of people for the profit of, of a small number of people. And, and, and this is something I've been thinking Money. about. Go ahead, go ahead. Something that I, it's sort of sunk in for me over the last few weeks, especially, is how, how I benefit from that. Mm -hmm. And also from the privilege of being a white person and, you know, and then especially a white educated mm -hmm. sort of middle-class person that there are all these things that I take for granted and really haven't particularly, I mean, I don't mind them at all, but I haven't noticed them. Right. Um, and, and I don't mind having that. It's just that I shouldn't be part of a small group that has that at all. It should be. You shouldn't be what? Part of a small group that has that sort of, privilege that everybody should have should be treated in a um we should all be treated the same we shouldn't be treated a certain way because you know right. because i'm white right. i mean i've noticed like i get treated in a different way because i'm a woman or i'm older and that's not so good uh -huh, but right. um so i get a little taste of it but right yeah um anyway what, what really struck me was that whole idea that this is actually a concerted conscious effort to oppress a specific, a, a big group of people for the benefit of a small group of people. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you said it, it's all about money. And yeah, economic, yeah as you said. And that's really important to get, I believe, you know, cause it's, then you start to see not just the result, but the cause. Mm -hmm. it's a, it, it isn't just um, fear and hatred even though that plays into it because it's used in order to keep peoples apart. Because if, if white people right. who are, let's say, um, lower class or economically deprived think they're better to, than black people, then you can control the white people better 
because of their, quote, racism, which is the obvious way we think about racism, which is of obvious hatred and yelling and, you know, doing bad things to somebody else. But in terms of the economic structure of what supports it, that's a whole nother level. And that's why systemic racism is so important to recognize everywhere. Yeah. 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 Thank you. And I'm so glad you brought in the other ways that um, bias plays out as human beings, whether you are, if you're a woman or depending on your sexuality or your age or your economics or whatever it might be, or your educational status or whatever it weighs, human beings have this quite um, primitive way of relating where it's not just us, it's me and them, you know? It's the good and the bad or the right and the wrong and the I'm here and you're there. And, and that's just human ignorance as far as I can tell. And we can wake up beyond that. Thank you. Sure. Paul, please unmute yourself. Hi, Eugene. Hi, Paul. It's lovely to see you. Hello, everybody. So um, <clears throat> I, I may need some assistance from you in helping to formulate the question because it's not entirely clear to me. But when I think back on, um, on the years of uh, overt slavery uh, and indentured servitude, like, what, what was the point of that? Well, seems pretty obvious <laughs> to me. Yeah. It, was, it was motivated by greed mm -hmm. in order to enrich the people who were in a position to be enriched. Mm -hmm. And similarly, since then, um, our efforts, the, the efforts against African-Americans in particular, but also um, other, uh, other peoples who aren't white, has really been to take advantage of them economically. Mm -hmm. to, it, it might be oversimplification, but it's really about greed. How can I benefit by someone else's labor? So as you can see behind me, I live in a really nice house. I live in a nice part of town. I've got a job. How is it that I can practice with um, what sometimes looks like, or certainly by an external appearance, looks like a considerable amount of greed. That I have um, been in a position to take advantage of you know, an education, edu of employment opportunities. So do you think that's greediness? I, I don't know. And this, and this is what I'm asking is maybe yeah. you can help me to formulate the question. So look at the motivation uh, underneath taking advantage of your education or getting an education or having a nice house. And then how have you oppressed other people to do it or not? 
-hmm. And, and uh, yes, we live in a system based on, uh, that grew out of systemic racism. So we're all participants at a certain level. But there's different levels of that too, and we can be aware because reality is not just one thing, just like greed is not one thing. And, you know, it's like, I also live in a nice flat and, you know, I'm happy about it. I enjoy it. It's good. And I'm going to enjoy it. There's no reason not to enjoy it. But, um, but uh, no, I haven't killed anybody to get this. And no, I didn't oppress anybody to get this directly. Right. And, you right. know, and even so, so let's look at the, and in the motivation, it wasn't greed that motivate me even, I mean, that's just not been my thing. I've never been a big money guy in terms of greed for money. That's just not my thing. And, you know, um, you know, I did all kinds of weird things in my life, but that wasn't a big one for me. And, and so, so what are you calling greed? Well, so if I could, uh, yeah. as you were talking about that, um, it, it kind of clarified a little bit. Um, Please. We're, Many of us, certainly our, our uh, American system has been set up mm -hmm. to um, have as many people as possible get on the train of trying to make money, yeah. trying to do better. We live in a... And how, is it we, and how is it that we, being in this culture can practice with that, with um, being part of that system, and at the same time, <clears throat> posing or, or, or standing up and saying, there's another way to, to be. What else could you do? I guess that goes to what Kitty said is that whole list of a hundred things. <laughs> but, but I'm saying you could try and step out of the system by yourself. And, you know, maybe you can do that, but I haven't seen that happen. Yeah. I mean, if certainly I think that was the response in the sixties of, you know, to just drop out. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm going to wash my hands of the system. Bro. Be I clean. did. Come on. I did that. I lived through the sixties. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and what and what we find out is that you can't you can't just wash your hands of it. And even it's just I not did, possible. I did some really illegal things in the '60s to step out of the system, but you're still in the system by even doing the illegal things. Yeah. Right. And so, so you know, and so the I would just be careful for guilt, uh -huh. because guilt's not helpful. Discernment is helpful. Mm -hmm. Like, let's see what's true. But, but feeling guilty is not helpful. Regret is helpful. If, if, if I've acted poorly towards somebody, I regret it. But I don't feel guilty about it. They're, they're really different in my understanding. And what's needed is discernment either way. And then what's right action, which is even apologizing when we do something inappropriate or changing and not doing it again, of course. So I guess just as a final thing, I guess, you know, so where this comes full circle is 
how can we have an impact on a system? How can we make a, a, a difference? And, and what I'm struggling with is when I look at the system, it's like greed all the way down, you know? I mean, it's really based on, on greed. Or, or so it, it seems to me. It is. At this it moment. is. <laughs> Economically, capitalism is basically a greed system. And we've also seen the problems with communism. Yeah. So, so what's, and the, the key here for me is, um, is it's a human problem, whatever system you have. Because the systems can be horrible or they can be okay, depending on how the human beings are responding to reality. And that's why meditation is so important either way, is so we can wake up together and start to act like what I call mature human beings and, and wake up together, period, and take care of one another. Because we're all in this together, either way, whatever system we set up to work socially, we're still all in this together. Okay? All right, thank you. Okay. Eileen. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. I was going to piggyback on the greed thing after you tell and Paul, it's not about so much about the greed, but I, um, I felt like that answer to, I think it was Joel's question about why now, you know, there's been video cameras on phones way before 2016. So um, I, I would like to say that there's a level of greed in, um, certainly in my life of like the busyness, not necessarily financially, but mm -hmm. of like, it could even be a version of, eh, I don't really like protests. That's not my thing. Um, you know, up until now, like mm -hmm. why, where has the action been until now? Why, why now? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think COVID uh, is yeah, a no. beautiful blessing here, mm -hmm. you know, huh? is, yeah. The COVID disruptor of people being un unfortunately being unemployed mm -hmm. and stuck inside and not able to to be wrapped up in the autopilot of our lives, mm -hmm. and we have to start paying attention because it has been so disruptive mm -hmm. and it's yeah. inconvenient and it's waking people up to you know the it's like either greed aversion or delusion here of like I don't want to look at it but it's in my face you know or um, you know, there's no problem here. How could you say there's no problem here? You know, or I, you know, I, I think, so I think there's a, a component of the greed, hatred and delusion to look at. And, you know, I think you said something many years ago to me that really resonated. It was someone finishing a retreat and saying, you know, how do we, how do we fit this into our life? This, you know, coming back home from a retreat. And you said, put the Dharma Put your life into the Dharma, you know, don't, don't just squeeze Dharma into your life. And to me, the right action is, this is, this is what right action is. It's like, it's not enough to sit on, on the cushion here. It's time to be in discussion. It's time to, 
you know, I, I went to a protest and I'm <laughs> to like one or two protests in my life. It's not my thing, but it's kind of like, yeah. And, and Buddhists are sitting in protest and there's like a lot of ways that we can show up. And, um, if you're interested, some of you on this call, I know are uh, signed up. Nina and I are starting, um, a white privileged white investigation on next Tuesday, a week from Tuesday. It's on the website. I encourage you to look at it. Um, you know, Nina and I don't have all the answers, but we have a lot of the right questions and we'll, we'll have happy to facilitate with you all. Great. Great. Glad, glad that's happening. Thank you, Nina. And yeah. And, yeah, let's keep waking up together in that way. It's interesting. I was in a white teachers meeting, and it was fascinating because and and uh, you know, and I've already done white awake stuff, but I've never been in the white teachers meeting like this before, because people got so real because they felt safe, and that was really interesting for me to see and get about. Uh, tribalism, you know, and the the pluses and minuses of it. And this was a plus. People felt like they could really be real and it was so good for people. So thank you for doing that. Okay. Okay, we're going to go a little bit late. So now people who have their hands up, I'll call on you, but try to be succinct because we're, we're over time. Okay, who is this? Peter. Please. Uh, hi, hi, Eugene. Thanks very much for uh, the discussion. Uh, I was uh, uh, I was really struck by the uh, the last comment uh, in the film from Brian Stevenson, where he talked about that. Uh, you know, if I think about like uh, if I was back, say uh, during the sla slavery, the time of slavery, I never would have participated in that or in Jim Crow and. Uh -huh. I wouldn't have, you know, supported that. And I thought about it. I mean, I'm somebody, I mean, I probably would have been a slaveholder, you know? So, um, I mean, uh, I would be like, well, that's the system, you know, this is just how it is. And, and um, I really feel like, like uh, this is about letting go of, of things that I'm attached to. And yeah. As a white uh, privileged male, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but you know, and I, and I don't. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think it's going to be comfortable. You know, so um, uh, I, I mean, I appreciate the discussion. I don't know what it's going to be like going forward, but but uh, I think it's about making a sacrifice if we're going to uh, if this is going to change. You know, and, and even I would like, say it a little differently. I would say it's about waking up, and waking up means letting go, which is what you're pointing at. And letting go sometimes uh, doesn't feel easy, but it's so great when we actually do it and we wake up that it's worth everything. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't want to take too much time, but thanks very much. Sure. Thank you. Julia, please unmute yourself, Julia. Okay, hi. Hi, everyone. I'm going to be uh, really as succinct as I can. So I work um, with um, some mentally ill and some homeless and some poor people. But wow. even for myself, I realized once I realized that we have a merit based um, system, and that so that means that people think that, oh, 
I deserve what I have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I work for it and being smart and that's where it's at. So that means that people who don't make it and don't do well are really shamed. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that's something that's, that's uh, unfair and not true. And um, I just, so it's really been good for me to realize that because mm -hmm. I felt shamed when I didn't make it the way I was supposed to. So yeah, sure. uh, I can imagine how other people might feel that. Right. The other thing is, wait, whoa, whoa, uh, wait, I feel wait, whoa, whoa. Slow like down, so much. Slow down a little. Hello. Slow down a little. So really um, good, really good, really good you brought that into the conversation. It's really important. And it's like one of the things we can easily overlook what you're pointing at. And, it, and it's true. And I would bet many of us have often felt like, oh, we're not being recognized because we're not good enough in some way, shape, or form. That's how I'm hearing it. And, uh, you know, I have my own version and history yeah. of that. So I'm appreciating you including that. Thank you. Now you can continue. Okay. Sorry for my speed uh, dial here. Um, so the other thing is, uh, so housing is a really big deal to me. And uh, so I sort of believe that, uh, housing justice is racial justice. So that's one of my issues. And there's a nonprofit housing um, uh, organization that is trying to change the zoning laws so that there can be more multi-housing built in areas that have previously kept them out. And so a lot of times there's a lot of people that give lip service, a lot of, shall I say, white people give lip service to being um, Black Lives Matter and, and so on. And yet they still have these zoning laws that keep multi-housing, mm -hmm. uh, mixed housing built in their areas. So one of the ways that we can do something tangible is change the zoning laws. And Scott Weiner is trying to do that. And so we can support these efforts. And um, the other thing is the way education is paid for in this country. And uh, a lot of white people benefit from uh, living in areas that are, are more wealthy, and so then their schools are better. So that's another thing we can change. Sure. I, I just think those are the more systemic things, and we can mm -hmm. find an organization, and we can support them. That's, Great. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Great. Okay, everybody. Uh, let's sit for a minute to end. I'm going to just shut my phone off. Um, Whew. And just see, pay attention to where you are right now, what's happening, body, heart, and mind. After we've had this discussion, different feelings come up, thoughts come up, be aware of your mind, be aware of what's aware of your mind, be aware of what's aware of your feelings, be aware of what's aware of your body, in addition to be aware of your body, heart, and mind because we want to keep staying present here and being aware and being mindful, whatever we have to deal with. And appreciating our good fortune that we have the time and place to, to uh, reflect, to explore, to contemplate racism, to contemplate 13th, and to contemplate the Dharma together. 
And may that good fortune go out in every direction, in every world, in every realm. May it touch beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from the suffering of bias, prejudice, racism, sexism, genderism, all the isms, all the ways we ignorantly divide the truth of our, the magic of being alive here together. Sending our good wishes everywhere to all beings. May all beings awaken and be free. May we awaken together. good to be with you. Let me just remind you about one thing. The one thing I'm going to remind you about is Donna. Please feel free to go to the SFI website and you'll find a button for Donna. Um, you can make a donation to support SFI. It supports SFI. It's functioning. Also, some is given to me, to the teacher. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Uh, this conversation will continue until racism is done. Oh, wow. Okay, see you next week. Yeah, uh, Elise put.